Is every entrepreneur now destined to be an author, a publisher? Well, that's what we're going to find out when we talk to Guy Kawasaki on this week's episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is your host, John Jantz, and my guest today is Guy Kawasaki. He's, uh, as some of you longtime listeners will know, is a repeat guest, uh, author of What the Plus, Enchantment, and nine other books. He is also the co-founder of a a site service that I talk about all the time called Alltop, and uh, recently co-author with Sean Welch, a book called Ape. Author, publisher, entrepreneur, how to publish a book. So, Guy, uh, let's talk about book publishing, shall we? Great. Thank you. Thank you for having me back. Yeah, you bet. So uh, I'm going to read a line that uh, that sort of is the thesis of the book, I think. Uh, when the self-publisher successfully fills three roles, author, publisher, and entrepreneur, the potential benefits are greater than traditional publishing. So if I correctly stated that as the thesis of the book, you want to expand on that a little? Yeah, I'm, that, that's a whole long sentence to say that traditional publishing had better watch out. <laughs> so I think uh, what I call artisanal publishing, I don't like to use the term vanity publishing nor self-publishing because I, I think uh, we need to reposition self-publishing as something more craft-like. Uh, so I like the word artisanal. And um, I've just noticed that you know, basically you have to make something, you have to put it out, and then you have to market it. That's the three things, whether you're a high-tech entrepreneur or a you know, videographer, movie maker, or author. Those are the three key roles. So this book explains how to do it. Well, and I, and I think that certainly, you know, as we've all been talking, as, as marketers have all been talking about content and how we have to think like a publisher, uh, you know, I think, I think it's quite natural to say, well, well, certainly a book goes in that uh, in that set. But I mean, I, I was having this discussion on a on a, a consultant forum or exchange uh, that I play around with some, and uh, actually, it's a new Google Plus community. I know you're big on that too. Yeah. Um, and I asked that question. You know, does every consultant, does every coach need a book? I mean, is that is this become like you're not you're not real unless you have a book? <laughs> <laughs> and what they say? Well, well, you know, the ones that didn't have a book said no, and the ones that did have a book said yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we could go down that path a little, I actually disagree with that concept. Uh, I, I disagree because I think that a book should be an end in and of itself. And when you start getting into writing a book as a means to an end, that this will get me more consulting, this will get me more speeches, this will get me more anything, uh, I think that's where the slope starts getting really slippery. And next thing you know, you've written a book called The Schmo Way by Joe Schmo of Schmo Press. And, uh, you know, you, you put in like, 25 blurbs from the you know, Southwest regional manager of, uh, of Hooters saying Schmo's book is the best book I've ever read. And I guess, you know, you might find that gratifying in the sense, and you might even think it's going to help you, but that's not the kind of book I'm talking about. I mean, I, I think a book is a piece of art 
and uh, it's an end in itself. It's not just a means to an end. Well, you 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 have a section in in fact on there about why write a book, and and you uh-huh. just listed some of the reasons not to, um, <laughs> um, or the bad reasons, I think you call them in the book. But yeah. uh, what are some of the really good reasons uh, to write a book? Because I do think that I do think that there, there are definitely, as you said, a lot of people that think, oh, I have to have a book because that, that makes me legitimate. But I think there's also maybe equally or, or more people out there thinking, why would I write a book? You know, what do I have to say? Well, well, well there's two, two questions there. So the first question is, you know, what's the good reasons, the right reasons to write a book? And I would make the case that the right reason to write a book is because you have something important to say that people will give a shiitake about. Uh, and that's kind of the bottom line. Now, this, so, you, so you have something to say. Uh, you could also look at it as a, a personal challenge, an intellectual challenge that you want to write a book, even if nobody else will read it. You know, I, I took up ice hockey at the age 48. I have no delusions that I'm ever going to be good or play in the NHL. So, you know, one could say, guy, why would you take up ice hockey? You can't make money doing it. Well, that's not the point. The point is I just, you know, it's a challenge. I love the sport. So if you love writing, write a book. It's okay. Um, and another reason is because you want to further a cause. So you want to stop global warming or, you know, something like that. Uh to tell your story of how to be an adoptive parent, you know, whatever it is. The bad reasons for writing a book are, first of all, to make money. Um, now, that's not to say you can't make money, but I think if your your sole motivation is to make money, just statistically, you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> it's it's not easy to make money uh, selling a book. And uh, as I said, the second you know bad reason is because it's going to do something else for you, like get you more speeches or more consulting um that may happen it's happened for me I, you know it's happened for you right john but yeah. that's not why we wrote the book we wrote the book because we wanted to uh, communicate and foster and provide you know enlightenment and education and one of the offshoots of that if you do it is that you may get contacted for consulting and speeches yeah, so there's there's sort of a higher purpose in place first i guess yeah um, yeah you, you know one of the things you did not necessarily mentioned, but just an observation of mine. I can't believe how much I learn in the process of writing a book. Yes, uh, which absolutely. Is great yeah. Yeah. I have an epigraph uh, early in the book that's attributed to uh, Benjamin Disraeli saying that you know, if you really want to learn a topic, write a book about it. Yeah. And I, I, th- this was the hardest book for me to write because I had so much to learn about self-publishing. Yeah, and it, and it certainly comes through, I mean, in terms of the the practical sort of how-to roadmap. I mean, obviously, yeah. you, you, you come off in a lot of ways saying, well, you know, here's what I tried, and here's what worked, and, uh, and you know, here's your roadmap, which is, I think is the best kind of book, uh, obviously, because, you know, there are a hundred ways to do everything, and I think most of us just want to know one that works. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you started to allude to uh, publishing. You didn't go as far as I thought you might, and maybe I'll cajole that out of you, but uh, uh, the, the traditional publishing better watch out, but there are some that would suggest maybe it's even broken beyond repair. Uh, no, I'm not, you know, that, that kind of statement tends to draw headlines. I, I think there will always be a place for, first of all, printed books, and there will always be a place for large publishers to publish the book, you know, the, the memoirs of Bill Clinton or memoirs of 
um, Barack Obama or, you know, Mitt Romney on management and marketing, that'll be a short film. Uh, so when you have a total drop-dead celebrity, you know, Condi Rice is not going to be crafting it in Word and uploading it to Kindle and then doing her own marketing. I mean, that's just not how that game is played. So when you're, when you're truly a celebrity, you go to a big six. God bless you. It'll work out. But, you know, I don't know. There's only, there's only you know, a thousand people that that, that, that describes. The rest of us, uh, I would probably make the case that self-publishing, at least you guarantee you'll have a book, right? Traditional publishing, you could pound on these people for six months, and then one out of 10,000 will get a deal, and then that one, you have to wait for 12 to 18 months before your book appears, and your publicist will give you one month of attention. So, you know, it's not pretty. Yeah, so let me ask you, I guess, uh, are you done in the traditional publishing world if if there's another book uh, in Guy? Uh, there, you know, uh, this is my 12th book. And if you had asked me when I wrote my first book, I would have told you there's no more books coming from me. Right, <laughs> I guess right. I've been wrong 11 times. Uh, you know, just to be blatantly honest, if a traditional publisher called me up and said, Guy, we want you to write this book and here's a million dollar advance, I would be saying, oh yeah, I love traditional publishing. <laughs> <laughs> I say, yeah, well, let's have a one-year deadline. Yeah, yeah, you know, ram that ugly cover down my throat. Okay, here we go. Just <laughs> show me the money. So at some point, you know, honestly, I think I think it's true for any author. Uh, at some point, money talks, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's just be honest. We, you know, an interesting thing. A couple things interesting. I'm, I'm next week. I'm having Seth on, um, and you know, he he certainly was you know carrying the flag for self publishing uh-huh. there for a bit. And uh, his latest book is uh, back with portfolio. Um, and I you know I have no idea what the arrangements of that deal were, but I thought it was certainly interesting to note that uh, that he went back the, to the traditional publishing route as traditional as he could possibly be. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, Seth is the greatest. And you know, if he saw an opportunity, yeah, God bless him. I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think you may find this difficult to believe coming from me, but I don't think people should get religious about you know it has to be self-published or it has to be traditional published or it has to be anything. Uh, it doesn't have to be anything. You just have to be flexible and move and groove. You know how the market changes and what your customers want. Uh, yeah, isn't that, isn't, that, isn't that funny? I mean, it's really just distribution of information in a way, right? And and packaging yep. of information. I, I you know, I, I'm working on my fourth actually traditional published book right now, but I'm also in the first quarter going to put out a, a self published ebook. Um, yeah. You know, in in and I'm going to use your book to <laughs> to short shorten my learning curve on on that. <laughs> but I, you know, I think that 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 your greatest point in that uh, that it's just about giving people you know the information the way they want it i think that that just that's comes from trial and error and and yep. seeing what works i, I want to ask you a, you know, a another opinion question because there's certainly i get this question all of the time uh-huh. i think anybody who's published a book probably starts hearing from would-be authors uh agent or not did you say agent or agent? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so if if I'm going <laughs> if I'm going a traditional publishing route, do I still need an yeah. agent, or um, has that sort of layer been removed from the process? Uh, I I would say probably agent because 
publishers, traditional publishers, are inundated not with uh, book proposals on paper anymore. They're inundated with email. And um, so they need proxies. And one proxy, that, uh, and arguably the most powerful proxy, is um, I write to my editor and I say, you know, this guy John Jantz has just a great book. Uh, trust me when I tell you, you should look at his proposal. That is the most powerful introduction. Sure. So that's an author telling an editor you ought to look at another author. Okay. Second to that is an agent that you've bought books from over and over through the years. Arguably, maybe it's more powerful than the author one, but you know it's as powerful. And the agent says, you know, um, this guy named John Jantz has a really great book. You ought to look at it. You know, I, I sent you Tom Peters. I sent you Malcolm Gladwell. I sent you uh, Jeffrey Moore. I sent you Clayton Christensen. Now I'm telling you, John Jantz is the next, you know, in this genre. Believe me, yeah. <laughs> the, the editor will look at that book, right? Yeah. So the editor looks at the proxy of at least this author convinced a, an agent. And so that already sep separates you from 99% of the proposals coming in. You um, talked about, uh, you know, you wanted to give uh, this artisanal publishing, you know, this name and, and change kind of, the, uh, I totally agree, the vanity thing, you know, harkens back to, uh, you know, a, a really negative uh, aspect of publishing. <laughs> but but self-publishing, you know, is, um, is certainly, I guess we could do a whole show on this, but just uh, sort of briefly, how has that evolved over the, the last, say, eight, ten years? Well, it's gone from impossible to possible. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, I don't think it's gone from impossible to possible to easy yet. Uh, there is an easy path, honestly, though. The, the easiest path is to use Microsoft Word to write a novel that has no pictures, no captions, no tables, no bullets. Upload it to Kindle. Two days later, you'll be in business. You know, price it at two ninety nine. You'll make two bucks on two ninety nine. Hallelujah! Declare victory. Oh, oh, you need to get a cover design in there. You know, along the way, spend a thousand bucks on that, and boom, you're in business. That's the simplest path. But for nonfiction authors like you and I, to self-publish a book with captions, pictures, tables, bullets, sub-bullets, you know, that kind of stuff, uh, it's, it's not that easy. Uh, <laughs> that's what prompted me to write Ape is because I discovered how difficult it is uh, to publish uh, the book. And then I knew already how difficult it is to market the book. So yeah. Well, and you uh, just uh, just so you don't have to uh, go chapter by chapter. I mean, you spend a great deal. Uh, I'll just tell people, you know, when you get the book, you will discover uh, a guy spends a great deal of time going exactly how to do the format, the bullet, what what tools to use. So, <laughs> you know, that that, you know, obviously invaluable. I, I, I want to tell you the chapter, though, um, because I think a lot of, you know, how to publish a book. Uh, quite frankly, this book is also a great tool, especially the first section, uh, is a great tool for anybody that just wants to write a book. Um, I, I don't, you know, there's a lot of books on writing out there, and they, they tend to be sort of the more esoteric uh, academic approach uh, to, to writing what you love. And you, you have a really great process uh, in Chapter 6 uh, that, that is just called How to Write in my you know, it, it really, I've written three books already, and, and, and there were some real insights in that, uh, you know, in that process. And I think that chapter alone is worth the price uh, of, of the book for anybody that wants to well, write. thank you. 
Um, my you. favorite, I, my favorite um, part is the part about vomiting. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should explain. Huh? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> okay, so my theory, and it is my theory, it works for me. I'm not saying it's going to work for everybody. Um, so the process I go through is I spent a long time outlining a book, uh, probably two months. And, and after two months, when I think I have the outline done, I invite you know, roughly 4 million people to look at the outline of the book. I put it up in Google Docs. People tell me you know, stuff, this is missing, this is, you know, should be here, whatever. And then, so then I go through another process of revving the outline. So that, that already is a lesson. One lesson there is don't be paranoid. I mean, I, I literally put the whole outline of the book up and let anybody read it. Um, and I got great changes because of that. So that's step one, outline. Step two is once I have the outline, I just dive into it, and I just write as fast and furiously as possible. This is called the vomit stage. I just want to get it out there. Um, I, I don't have this sort of idealistic view of writing that you're sitting on a windswept, uh, on the patio of a windswept beach, and you have your, you know, your wool sweater on, and you have your cappuccino, and you know, you have your dog sleeping at your feet, and you have this parchment paper, and you're using a Mont Blanc gold nib fountain pen and the thoughts flow from your brain down through your shoulder into your arm out to your fingertips of beautiful prose i mean if you think that's how writing is oh my god <laughs> have i got a some truth for you and so this is it you're just vomiting it out and then the last stage of writing is to use a you know kind of bad metaphor is basically you are refining the vomit you are removing the big chunks of food oh, Lord. Uh, <laughs> until you get something that is beautiful. You, you've taken every shred of glamour uh, out of uh, this process. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, a, but John, you've done it three yes, times. Yes, is, is that the truth? It is absolutely the truth. In fact, all the thinking about the cappuccino and the wool sweater is just or just excuses not to write. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, truly, you know, when you are a writer. You can write in coach on United Airlines. You could write in Southwest Airlines. You could be in the seat on Southwest Airlines. You know where the, the, the seat, there's one in front of you yeah. that they're spacing you? <laughs> That's the worst seat in the, in the entire airline business. You could write sitting in that seat when you want to write. Yep. There's a great book, uh, maybe you're familiar with, uh, by Anne, uh, Anne Lamott called Bird by Bird. Yeah, about yeah. writing, and she calls it shitty first drafts, and I think it's kind of the same same <laughs> the idea. Vomit concept. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you you touched on the cover idea, um, and, and I think that you know that's one of those things that you're right. Traditional publishers, at least in my experience, they've kind of said, "Here are a couple options. What do you think?" Um, yeah. and, and you've done a couple of really creative things uh, for you know everything from contests to to crowdsourcing. Yeah. Um, first of all, just to to provide more insight, what a traditional publisher says is, here's a couple, what do you think? And they don't stop there. They also say, and by the way, if you want your book to come out on schedule, we cannot make any more, so pick one of these two. Right. Right. Uh, so what I did, I did, uh, I've used a crowdsource site, uh, CrowdSpring, where you put up the specs and people design it and you pay the winner. Uh, this book, I actually knew a designer, so I knew a designer in advance, and I asked her and only her to design the book. I, I love the crowdsource idea, um, 
that's how I got the design for a previous book called Enchantment with right. the butterfly on it. That was an idea from the crowd. And uh, I will tell you, I will give you a warning, though, that particularly if you're visible, when you do something like crowdsource a book cover, you are going to take a ton of crap from designers. Oh, right. <laughs> and what they're going to say is, you know, we are designers. We are not indentured servants. So you're running a contest where you're going to get, you know, 100 ideas and you're only going to pay one, and so you're screwing the other 99 people. And, you know, according to Clause 23C of the Association of Graphic Artists of, you know, International of America, or I don't know, whatever that graphic artist thing is, it says no spec work. Spec work means you design it. If we like it, we'll pay for you. And so they're going to accuse you of, uh, enslaving people, of ripping people off, you know, blah, blah, blah. I took a lot of crap for that. And and my attitude is, you know, I don't know what what profession in the world is there one where it's, you say um, you create a proposal, but you have to pay me for the proposal. I, I don't, you know, and, I, and I don't keep know. Pay, and keep paying me till I get it right. Yeah, I I don't understand that. And so my my response is, uh, if you don't want to enter the contest, don't enter. <laughs> I'm not forcing you to enter this CrowdSpring thing. Uh, and you know, a lot of people looked at it like, huh, uh, I have a one in you know hundred chance of designing guys' cover, and that would be great for my portfolio, and it would launch me. Now, you know, if you're Paul Rand or, you know, if you're if you're some world-famous designer, you're not going to enter. Right. You don't need the platform. Hallelujah. I don't expect you to enter. But if you're a student and you say, I got a one in 100 shot of making a thousand bucks and being able to say I designed Guy Kawasaki's book cover, why not? I mean, do people enter writing contests? Yeah. Why not? Yep, absolutely. So um, what are... Um and this may be hard for you to answer because there are so many answers to this, but uh, what are some of the pitfalls or some of the things that, that you've kind of bumped up against and said, wait a minute, serious? <laughs> I have to do it this way? <laughs> uh, well, one one pitfall that I learned about is I didn't realize when I first self-published What the Plus, uh, I looked at Kindle's deals, and Kindle's deals were 35% royalty or 70% royalty. So I looked at that. I didn't read the fine print. I said, oh, well, there must be a mistake here. Why, why would anybody pick 35% when you can get 70%? So I checked the 70% box, right? And, and I learned subsequently that at the, at the 70% rate, what Amazon does is it charges you a, tr a transfer fee or a uh, – you know, like a data oh, right. fee. For downloading, right? Yeah, for downloading. And so if you have a book like What the Plus, which has 120 pictures in it, you, you know, it, it's getting up there. So if it's like they charge you per megabyte, and so there is a point where if you have too many pictures and your file size is larger and they're, they're charging you per megabyte, there's a place where it's better to take 35% with no delivery fee than 70% with a delivery fee, <laughs> so uh, that's something I learned the hard way. But you know, that's so that's one pinfall that uh, people should be aware of. 
there is a um, a little bit of a growing trend that suggests you know a- Amazons and the the BNNs and you know the people that are using all these e-readers uh, represent a market that maybe you can't reach on your website or through email or or various uh, avenues. So there's a growing trend. I've seen uh, some people putting out uh, very low cost eBooks, putting out, mm-hmm. hey, the first 1,000 are free. And, and I'm guessing the model is to build uh, audience perhaps for other products and services. Uh, do, do you yeah. see that as a legitimate use of that distribution channel? Uh, with, with, again, with the caveat that I think that a book should be an end in and of itself. And so, you know, it depends on... You're putting out this 99 cent book so that people hire you as a consultant. You know, again, I, I say the warning bell should go off. I think even a 99 cent book should be a valuable thing without engaging you later. Yeah. Uh, but with that caveat, yeah. And you know, if you wrote a 50 page book about how to build a uh, how to build a wood canoe, hallelujah. I mean, why not? Right, so you you know it's like Instructables or Make magazine on steroids, and you yeah. charge ninety nine. You, you if you're the world's greatest wood canoe maker and you want to make a wood canoe manual for ninety nine cents, and and evangelize the concept of making wood canoes, you know, praise God, God bless you, go for it, man. Yeah. That's the beauty of self publishing, or artisanal publishing. Like, could you imagine going to Penguin or Simon and Schuster Random House saying, I I want to write a book, how to make a wooden canoe. Um, <laughs> You know, <laughs> don't hold your breath, man. Well, actually, one of my favorite things is some of your, of your rejection letters. I'm sure that there's some editors out there that didn't want to see their names on those. <laughs> well, you know, I when I started, I got rejected all over the place, too. So I saved those. I framed them. I knew someday I'd get them back. Yeah, you, yeah no kidding. You know, um, the, the, the sort of funny thing about my uh, path and experience was completely different. Um, I and this just shows you how the world has changed. I was writing a blog. My blog was starting to get a lot of attention when when yeah. all of a sudden everybody said, "Oh, you got to go find these bloggers." And I had three or four offers to write a book called Duct Tape Marketing before I before I really had even convinced myself I was going to write a book called Duct Tape Marketing. So, well, uh, obviously, I, you said yes. <laughs> I, I, actually, what I did is I called up uh, well, you know, Michael Gerber. I call, called yeah. up Michael Gerber and I said. Should I get an agent? And he said, yes, you should get an agent, and here's his name. And uh, it's funny how um, those agents will return your phone call when you say, I have a couple book off- I have a couple offers from publishers. <laughs> yeah. So. And, and arguably, uh, just the math is that if an agent gets you, you know, 20% more than you would have gotten yourself, you break even, right? Right. So anything above that is cream. And yeah. uh, one of the beauties, like I have a speaking agent, and I have a, a book agent, a lot of the utility of both entities is that they can say with a straight face that, you know, guy requires X dollars to speak here and X dollars to speak there. And by the way, you know, if you want a first class speech, he's flying first class. And <laughs> I don't, you know, when people get me on the phone, they say, ah, you know, we have a limited budget and yeah. it's, it's for a really good audience and it's strategic and, uh, nobody, not even the CEO of our company is going to stay a fly first class and stay in a nice room. <laughs> so can you make this one exception? You know, usually I buckle under, but right, right. if it's, if it's Trixie, the agent, she's saying, nope, yep. Yeah. This is the price. First class airfare. Lots of people want him. Make a choice. Yep. <laughs> There's certain goodness in that. <laughs> well, no, you're right. I, I, I'm afraid I, I buckle too easily as well. 
I know. I, that's the worst thing. I never want someone who wants me to speak to get me on the phone because yeah. I know it's going to cost me money. And I don't mean time. Right, I mean right, right. <laughs> thousands of dollars. <laughs> So let's, um, uh, well, first off, the I know you've created a site uh, just for the book. It, I think it's apebook.com. Ape the book, yeah. Ape the book, sorry. Um, obviously, GuyKawasaki.com, uh, you, you've got information about it as well. Um, you're distributing the book everywhere. Uh, I want to I want to um, kind of end today with uh, the, the subject of reviews. Yes. Uh, are they make it or break it in these uh, obviously people have heard a lot of people have heard of guy kawasaki for example uh, that you know they don't maybe need the reviews uh, obviously i guess if you see negative reviews that would be a red flag but yeah, well, um, yeah. but but if i'm you know if i'm if i don't i'm not a household name um, i probably need to invest in getting those uh, reviews as as kind of social proof don't i <sighs> no question um so this is this is my logic in the old days, you used as a proxy who published the book. You know, Random House published the book. Wow, must be good. Simon & Schuster, Penguin, yeah. you know, go down the short list. So you never heard of John Jance, but Random House published him? Must be good, right? Yeah, right. Today, when you go to Amazon, whether you're buying a Kindle ebook or, you know, the paper book, you look at John Jance, duct tape marking, five stars, Published by, I don't even know who the hell published your book. I don't even care. So I look at that, I say five stars. I read the first to review. You know, this book truly explained marketing to me in a way that I could never, ever have gotten before. Click on the, you know, one, one click buy, right? Right, right? So does anybody care who the publisher is anymore? Not really. So what do they care about? Number of stars and what these reviewers say. That's the greatest thing i mean and if you get a lot of stars yeah, <laughs> it's right. very good i think it's crucial i mean arguably it's the most important thing so you have to make people aware that the book exists and then when they check it out um, they have to see it uh, believe it or not ape after less than a week has about 140 reviews of which 131 are five star yeah. and it can't get better than that right but but um, I guess and you spend some time talking about this. I mean, it's so important that you know you you hope that some fairy dust gets sprinkled on your book and everybody just wants to rush and write a review oh. about it. But but you have to actually work that a little bit, right? I mean, I'm not oh, yeah, saying I that mean, you did in your case, but I think a lot of people. Uh, it's, oh, I it's did. So I'll, I'll yeah. explain what I did. Okay, great. Um, first of all, you know, people should understand for marketing, whether it's book, movie, company, product, you know, whatever female vibrators, whatever you're selling, hope is not a strategy. <laughs> right. So so in this case, the goal is to get a lot of reviews right away that are, are good, right? And so the start of that, obviously, is you have to have a, a good book. Okay? Yep. So let's just assume you have a good book. So what I did is, in the final stages of writing Ape, I, I asked for people to, to edit it, to copy edit it, and about 250 people volunteered. I sent the full Word manuscript to 250 total strangers all over the world. About 60 of them returned the manuscript with comments, hundreds of comments that were incorporated into the book, making it much better. So these 60 people had read the full manuscript three weeks before the book came out. And then about four or five days before the book came out, when it was pretty final, 
I also posted a message to all my social media outlets saying anybody who wants to review the book, you know, go sign up here. So at that, I sent it out to another thousand or so people. So before the book went live on Amazon, about a thousand or eleven hundred people had read the book. So now the book went live Monday night, uh, so Sunday night at midnight. So Sunday night at seven p.m., I sent an email to eleven hundred people saying the book is going to go live tonight at midnight. It would be very helpful if you reviewed it as soon as you could because it's very good to have good reviews right away, right? Yep. And so midnight comes, I wake up the next morning, there's 45 five-star reviews. That wasn't by accident. Now, some people have looked at the, the 130 five-star reviews and said, Guy, yeah, this is total bullshit. You, you know, you're, you're using shills. It's false identity. You've paid people. Absolutely not. There's not, not – maybe there are fake accounts in there, but it's not me. Um, there's not one shill. There's not one dollar was paid to anybody to do – a review. It's because, well, it's because A, I think the book is good, but B, that I worked the crowd. I mean, I, I, I asked for their help. I got their help. I asked them for more help. Um, they got an early look at my book. Uh, so it was mutually beneficial. And, you know, you got to learn to trust people and you got to learn to give people something. They got an advanced look at Ape. Um, well, yeah, and, and, and obviously, extremely well. It, it, obviously, it was just as possible that they would have written two star reviews. Absolutely, right? Absolutely, because yeah. there was no quid pro quo. I mean, <laughs> it's a total crapshoot. Yep. Um, so I, I think that's a great lesson and a great. I mean that that you know that strategy. Obviously, you have to have a little bit of a community, but if you don't have a community, you start, you know there are public ways you can put stuff out there. There, I have found that's to be true too. Um, obviously, you have built a. A following, so so you can make those numbers bigger. But I, I think that that in this world, in this day and age that we live in, I think there are a lot of people that want to contribute, that want to collaborate, that want to be a part of the process. And and I think there yeah. are a lot of people willing uh, to do that. And 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 I think the key though is is that you also then incorporated a lot of those good changes too. I mean, it's a win for everybody. Oh, uh, and I in my books, I, I have been crowdsourcing feedback for from the outline to the final copy for you know four books now man it's just works so well now some people may say well guy you know it helps that you have four million followers on these various social media sites that is definitely true but um one third of the book explains how to get a following basically um so i don't i don't want people to think that yeah you know guy this only works if you have four million followers i wasn't born with four million followers i got four million followers right and so I explain how to get – you won't get 4 million, but I explain how to get followers. Because um, for me to get 50 people to read the book and, and co- copy edit it and edit it is one thing. But you know, if, if you got 5 or 10, that would be plenty for most people. Uh, well, and I think one of the really great points too about this idea of you know crowdsourcing the outline and whatnot—it's like people have been with you through the whole process, and that's exactly that's how you start building that community. Uh, before yep. you ever have anything to sell, uh, you were actually conversing <laughs> with a with yeah. a group, and I think that's the lesson that uh, that people can you know that idea of build your community, start building your community now, <laughs> um, and yeah. and you know then you can go to work on this book. What a concept, huh? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Guy, it's always great to catch up with you. And, uh, again, I, I love the book. Really, really practical. There's so few 
uh, practical how-to guides that get written these days. And uh, and anybody who's thinking about writing a book, certainly anybody who's thinking about uh, then publishing that uh, book, uh, really uh, you've you've saved them maybe years of their life <laughs> in trying to figure that out. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Well, hopefully we'll uh, we'll catch up with you out there in, in, in sunny California sometime. I don't think I'm or, back. I don't think I'm back or, out there till till spring sometime for a conference. Or CES or South by Southwest. There you go. All right. Okay. Thanks, guy. Thank Always you. It was great to talk to you. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the Podcast Princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.